this week on Crossing the Lane Lines. Many historical black colleges and universities had established swim programs, a place where young black men and women could attend not only to compete, but feel like they were not aliens in a sport that has been dominated by whites. But over the last several decades, all but one have dropped their swim programs. So what happens to those that wish to continue on in their swimming career and have an opportunity to not feel out of place? We'll speak to NCAA swim coach Nate Harding about the need for more HBCU swim programs and the challenges for elite black swimmers and coaches. Stay tuned. In San Francisco, this is Najee Ali, and you're listening to Crossing the Lane Lines. Historically, black colleges and universities' aquatics programs have gradually deteriorated one by one over the last few decades due to a lack of support from the college and university administration to limited or depleted funding. HBCU Aquatics were not able to sustain their very important programs. Programs such as Florida A&M and North Carolina A&T University have had to close due to lack of funding, while those with swimming pools at their universities and colleges sit empty or are rarely used. HBCUs have a history of initiating positive change for black communities and should be leaders in exposing aquatic opportunities to save lives, provide education, and support economic growth. Further, these programs provided places where black aquatic athletes and coaches could find solace in a sport that is perceived to be white, where they could feel that they were in the majority. So, where do we go from here? What are some of the steps that we can take to try and restore the rich swimming traditions at HBCUs? Joining us to talk about this and more is Nate Harding. He is the assistant coach at the University of Redlands. He completed a Master's of Science degree in kinesiology with a concentration in sports performance from Louisiana Tech University in 2011 and completed a Bachelor's degree in kinesiology from Grambling State University. Coach Harding brings solid coaching experience at the collegiate level, specifically in Southern California over the last three seasons. He most recently served as an assistant at Biola University in La Mirada, California where he helped the Eagles break eight school records during the 2018-2019 season. In addition, Coach Harding offers the knowledge of Southern California Intercollegiate Athletic Conference due to his two seasons at Pomona Pitzer Colleges. There, he contributed to the success of 16 NCAA qualifiers and an NCAA champion. Coach Nate Harding, welcome to Crossing the Lane Lines. Thank you. Thank you, Nigel. I really appreciate it. Coach Nate, take us back. When did you get into swimming? And later, when did you decide to become a swim coach? Yeah, yeah. So, well, I think my journey um, to becoming a swim coach uh, definitely was not planned. Um, I have been swimming my swimming competitively for the majority of my life. Um, but I got introduced to the sport of swimming, honestly, by accident. Um, my mother uh, you know, was not a very good swimmer, so she wanted to make sure that uh, me and my siblings um, knew how to swim. And so she, just like most parents, she signed us up for, you know, the local, uh, swim, swim program, uh, which was swim lessons for the city, um, that we were, we were residing in. And, um, you know, I don't remember any of this, but she, from what she tells me is, you know, like I, I advanced pretty quickly, 
um, you know, in my first set of swim lessons. So um, throughout one summer, I, I may may have did two or three sessions of swim lessons, and I, you know, I progressed and, and passed everything, and, you know, I was definitely progressing a lot faster than, you know, the average kid who came through swim lessons. And so my mom, um, shortly after that, she thought she was signing me up for a kind of advanced swim lessons, um, but really it was a summer league swim team. And um, and when we got to the, what we thought would be, you know, I guess the orientation for advanced swim lessons, she realized, you know, once she's seen kids swimming back and forth, <laughs> you know, at, uh, at a lot pool, she realized, like, oh, this is a swim team, you know, and she already had paid the, the orientation fee. So um, she was like, well, you know, we already paid for it, so, you know, why don't you try it out? And, you know, the, re- the rest is history. I, I So I really got introduced to the sport of competitive swimming. Um, kind of by accident, um, you know. My parents they don't come from a swim background, um, so it was definitely all new to us. And when exactly was it that you got into coaching? Yeah, so I, um, you know, I grew up swimming competitively. You know, swam swam varsity. You know, all four years in high school. Um, and so, like most young swimmers, I had aspirations to, um, you know, swim in the Olympics and swim in college and you know on a scholarship. And I got to my junior and senior year, I, you know, it was a number of different obstacles that happened, um, you know, when I was younger, around 11, 12, that kind of had to, um, where I had to stop swimming, so to speak. Um, and then I didn't pick it back up until I got to high school. Um, but I still was a really, you know, really good, really good high school swimmer. And so I, I realized that I wasn't good enough to swim on scholarship. I, I, you know, I was probably a, a pretty good Division three swimmer. But um, I wasn't good enough to swim on scholarship or swim at the schools that I wanted to swim in. So I kind of honestly gave up on the idea of swimming in college. So I ended up at, at Grounded State University, uh, majored in kinesiology, and then went to grad school at Louisiana Tech. And in grad school, I kind of picked up swimming again. I wake up early and swim. And then I was teaching um, swim lessons, teaching private swim lessons. And I had a couple of the parents ask me if I can, you know, coach their kids and really t- uh, teach them true stroke mechanics and really teach them how to really swim um, so they can join the swim team. And so I did that, and that was like my real first taste of coaching uh, was was helping out, you know, kids who have already progressed through swim lessons and teaching them stroke mechanics. Um, and I really loved it. I enjoyed it. I, like, I enjoyed every second of it. Um, but I, even then, I didn't really think – honestly, didn't think about coaching. That just wasn't an option. Um, I graduated college right – right after we were, you know, getting over our, our downturn in our economy. Um, so I, I finished, you know, grad school around 2011. So things were starting to pick back up, but it was still kind of tough to find a job. And so when I, I moved back to Southern California and um, there was an opening for an assistant uh, assistant swim coach at a, at a, a local high school. And so I took it. And, um, and from that point on, I knew once I started coaching one season, I knew that coaching was something that I wanted to do. Um, I had the goal of doing it, you know, finding, figuring out a way to do it full time. I didn't know how I would do that, um, but I, I wanted to coach full time. So that's really how I got my foot in the door um, with coaching it was on the high school level. On past episodes, I've spoken with black swimmers and the challenges they faced in the sport. Everything from the odd look as if to say, what are you doing here? To outright racism. 
What has been your experience as a coach in dealing with issues of being the only black swim coach on the deck? Um, I would say as, as a, as a swimmer, um, you know, I was, I feel like I was really young. The majority of what was going on, I was kind of young to really understand what's going on. I started to kind of, you know, wrap my head around the idea of being the only person that looks like me on the pool deck in high school. And as a coach, um, and there was a couple of instances in, in high school to where, you know, um, I didn't quite, I still think even as a high school student, I, I truly didn't really understand um, probably the way I do now as, an, as a full adult, uh, the dynamics of, you know, African-Americans in the sport, in a sport like competitive swimming. But as a coach, I, I think that, um, you know, it's it truly is uh, really, really complicated, man. I've had some great experiences with people who understand the dynamics of me being, you know, um, a, one of one of very few black people in the sport, uh, specifically as a coach, um, specifically as an NCAA coach, you know, um, the percentile is, are, is is pretty crazy. You know, the majority of NCAA coaches are white men. Um, you know, if you're a woman in a coach, you're a minority, let alone, <laughs> you know, uh, uh, a black person. So, um, I think it is definitely definitely complicated. My experiences now, and it's interesting that you ask that question. Um, you know, I, I I really feel like even myself because I've been I I've gone through my entire career um, with such a love for the sport of swimming that I think that love has kind of almost in a sense blinded me to the realities of you know the systemic you know, issues that we have in our country that pour into the sport of competitive swimming. Um, and I've definitely had issues. I think the biggest, the number one issue, Najee, I think that I probably have is just not un people not understanding the culture. And it's kind of like when people don't, when people don't experience things themselves, it's very difficult for them to understand where you're coming from. And so I spend, you know, I, and I, I know a lot of people can relate to this. I feel like I spend so much time um, trying to get people to understand um, where I'm coming from or where our people are coming from or where where the issues are in our sport. And, you know, just recently I just had to kind of come to grips with the idea of like, man, I'm going to spend, spend, not try to spend so much energy trying to convince people who may or may not understand and spend more energy trying to help the students because there are black swimmers, there are other black coaches who need uplifting, you know what I mean? And in order, I feel like we have to start with ourselves in order to really make a change. Um, when we talk, especially when we talk about things like HBCUs, HBCU, HBCU aquatics, you know? So, yeah, I, I think the biggest issue is just people not understanding um, and whether they choose not to or they just haven't experienced, you know, what, we, what we've experienced. The black aquatic programs that once stood in places like Florida A&M and North Carolina A&T provided swimmers and coaches with an opportunity to be in the majority. And by that, I mean not being the only swimmer of color in the pool deck or coach for that matter. In your opinion, how important is representation in this sport as a swimmer and also as a coach? I think it's huge. I, and I think, you know, what's so interesting is, is, you know, people don't understand that simple concept of not being the minority 
it's the same concept that we, you know, when we talk about historically black colleges, you know, as a whole, right? So what we're essentially what we're saying is for four years, we want to go, to, we want to go to an institution where, you know, the students aren't uh, minority. You know what I mean? They're going to be the majority, and, mm-hmm. and a lot of people will question like, well, why is that important? You know what I mean? And I think it's important, especially if we consider the fact that it's only going to be for four years, because, like I said before, you know, you don't really notice. Same thing on the pool deck. You don't really notice that you're the majority because you are the majority, you know. Mm-hmm. Most of the time you notice that you're the minority, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like if you're, if there's, you know, nine white people in the room, you're not going to notice that there's nine white people in the room because you're, you're one of them, you know what I mean? But if you're the one black person in the room, chances are you're going to notice that, you know. And so I, I like to tell people it, it it affects the biggest thing that, from my opinion, it affects the opportunities, right? So when you're the majority of of you know of a of a you know population in, in a in a given area, there's going to be more opportunities that arise, you know. And so that's why HBCUs, in my opinion, why they're so powerful because now that you're the majority, now you can 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 take advantage of the opportunities that may arise from being the majority. Those same opportunities just don't aren't going to happen if you're the minority. It doesn't mean that you don't have an opportunity, there are still opportunities, but they're, they do not compare to when someone will be the majority in, in a specific given um, situation. So I think that translates to the sport of swimming. If we're honest with ourselves, you know, just like we, let's say a, a, a coaching job opens up, you know what I mean? And we can talk about diversity, we can talk about inclusion, we can talk about all those things. But the truth of the matter is you, only, you have a small pool of African-American culture to choose from. You know what I mean? Because the majority of them are, you know, what, majority of the candidates are going to be white males. And so the opportunity right off the bat, just from talking about majority and minority, right off the bat, there's less opportunity because of just sheer numbers, you know. And so when you put yourself in a, in a situation to where now you become majority, just opportunities just come, you know, will just arise. So that I think with the sport of swimming and specifically with HBCUs, um, now, specifically, because I, when I was coming up, I actually was considering going to Florida A&M to swim, you know, in my high school career. So now that's not an option. So now, as, as a as a as a black swimmer, if I wanted to go to an HBCU, I have one op, one opportunity. That's Howard. You know, used to be four, five, six opportunities. Now it's one. You know, so you know when we talk about majorities and minorities, I think it's very important. To understand, you know, when we take away the the more the 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 um, the biggest majority is, the less the opportunities for the minorities, you know. So um, I think it's huge for HBCUs to have an aquatics program um, that includes a competitive men and women swim team. In the NCAA, blacks make up less than 2% of the total number of competitors in swimming and diving. USA Swimming's membership is roughly 1.6%. Now, USA Swimming claims that they are committed to changing this. In fact, they set up two committees comprised of current and former NCAA champions and Olympic medalists, the majority of whom are African-American or of African descent. 
Furthermore, they acknowledge that change at the top is not enough. Whatever they institute will have to be across the board of their membership. Now, this all sounds well and good, but how are changes that they are seeking going to come about on the ground floor? And by that, I mean at the local level. You know, I think it, what's so interesting, and it's a super interesting question, and I, I'm I'm with you. I feel like that's it's one of those things that sound good, um, but it's a lot of layers to be lifted when we really get into the deep of why. You know, when we ask our, ourselves a question, I went to NCAA championships, and this is when it really stuck to me as a coach that our sport has an issue. I, I, I was at NCAA championships, Division Three. So this is, you know, the top swimmers in the country at NCAA Division Three. And um, when I looked across the pool, everybody was warming up, you know. So warm-up time is pretty busy. It's two pools. It was in the Indi- Indianapolis. Um, and I probably, you know, out of hundreds of swimmers, there was probably maybe two or three black swimmers, you know. So, like, if we take, did the meet, Percentage was probably less than 1% of the, the, the swimmers were black. So, and I really asked myself, like, man, our world does not look like this. You know, um, African Americans are definitely not the majority. But even in our country, it's not even, you know, it's not 1%. You know, so why why is it so difficult to ha- even get to 10%? Why is that so difficult? And I think there are so many layers um to that, the main layer I think you know that not a lot of people really talk about is um, the idea. I think swimming, especially you know the social economic aspect of it. I think swimming and diving, along with a lot of the quote unquote country club sports, you know, like lacrosse sports that are very very expensive. Um, I think kind of bring a magnifying glass to the systemic issues of our country, right? And so we have, I think we have issues that nobody really denies now, especially nowadays, especially with, the, you know, with George Floyd, we have these issues. Um, but people deny the effects and the consequences of these issues in our country. So we've had, we have a long history in our country of injustices, right? And I don't think anybody will really deny that, you know, but people really do. And, and, our, and our sport is an example of it. People really deny the impact and the effect of those injustices. It wasn't too long ago where black people were not allowed to be in the same pool. And so people would say, well, well, you know, now you can swim in the same pool, but, but you don't think there was an impact or an effect that directly that we are, that we're affected today from black people not being allowed to be swimming the pool. And so I can look at a NCAA championships and look at the effect. I can, I can feel it. I can see it. You know what I mean? So I think, you know, when USA swimming and, you know, um, we get all these people and we have, like I, like you said, those things are amazing. And I, and I honestly think the people in charge and specifically like Colin Jones, Colin Jones, Marissa McClendon, like I, I know, you know, um, they, they, their hearts are pure and they're trying to make this thing right. You know what I mean? I, I also feel like it's going to take an acknowledgement that it's not good enough to, to change the way they, things used to be we have to acknowledge that it has impacted us. You know what I mean? And so um, one of the things I was going to say, and I'm going to let you talk about it, I, I, I think people always I, – I bring up – whenever people have these conversations, I always bring up basketball and football because it's very important. 
they're very important to the conversation about competitive swimming because if you look across NCAA, basketball and football, we are the majority. And a lot of people will look at that and say and just think that black people just like basketball more or we're just inherent, inherently more talented <laughs> at basketball and football. And I, I, could, I couldn't disagree more. The reason why there are more, there's a, an abundance of black players in basketball and football because in this country, basketball and football have been the two sports that have given black people an opportunity to get out of the mess that this country has caused. So, so if, swimming and, if swimming and diving presented an opportunity like basketball and football, there would be a number of black people swimming and, doing swimming and diving as well. But there has not been any opportunity in the sport of swimming and diving, you know, from in a general sense that black people can look at and say, well, you know, this is going to get me out of the mess. This is going to get me out of the hood. This is going to, you know, so that's why, that's why people flock in droves, you know, to go play basketball. That's one of the reasons and play football and football. I don't, you know, I grew up playing football, but it's not a cheap sport. You know what I mean? So the idea that you know, um, socioeconomic is the is 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 what's going to keep black people out of the sport. I kind of agree with that, but the reality is, football, especially nowadays, is not cheap. People find a way to play football. The reason why they find a way and find money to play football, find money they don't have, is because of the opportunity. It's going to get them out of the mess that we're that we've been that we've been put in. You know, so I think we have to really be true to, and honest with ourselves. And look what the sport of swimming and diving has offered African American people over the years. And people will look at that. I had a I had a I had a young swimmer when I was coaching the high school program. You know, I, I think representation is a big part of it too. Ask me like, well, you know, can you can you become a professional from swimming? And I had to tell her no. You know, and she basically with so many words was asking me like, well, what what can swimming do for me? <laughs> you know, because I can. I can do this. I can do this. I know I, at the very least I can get a scholarship and the kids understand right away. You know, I can get a full ride um, scholarship playing basketball and I get a full ride, you know, swimming. And, you know, just from me knowing a little bit about scholarships, it's like eh, technically not really, you're not going to get a full ride, you know, it's super rare. So it's like you know, the kids are looking at you like, okay, so you mean to tell me I can't get school paid for. I can't become a professional why would I swim, you know? And so, you know, quasi professionals like you and I understand the importance of it, but, you know, the kids right away at a young age are like, you know, how can this better my situation? I don't see how swimming and diving. So we have to, we have to come to grips with that as a country. And I feel like if we do that along with the great leaders like Cullen Jones, you know, Marissa McClendon, like I think combination of those things, then our sport begin to change, but it's not good enough for us just to say, Oh, well, at least we're in the same pool. Now you can be. Now you can swim on the same team. Now you can go to the same university as me. You know, it's not good enough. You know, we gotta acknowledge the 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 impact that that's caused. Ever since the lynching of George Floyd in Minneapolis on May twenty fifth, twenty twenty, we've seen people demanding that this country confront its issues of racism and social inequity. Now, if not for the killing of Big Floyd and a once-in-a-lifetime pandemic. Do you feel that we will be having these sorts of conversations that we are beginning to have now? 
I think I think I definitely do not think we would be having this conversation um, across the board. Um, I, I agree. I think it is a perfect storm of the pandemic and the murder of George, George Floyd that is kind of, um, I, I guess, giving us the opportunity to have these conversations and, and then giving, you know, different organizations and people the platform to either acknowledge or bring certain things to the forefront. And so I, I don't think we would be having this conversation. I, you know, I'm, I'm grateful that we are having the conversation, but it also, it, it really goes, it, it kind of reminds you like earlier in the conversation we were saying, you know, um, it almost feels like like uh, we're building a house on sand, so to speak, you know, um, because although I'm glad we're building the house, you know, deep down it's like, man, if this pan- without the pandemic, without the murder of George Floyd, like a lot of people wouldn't, it feels like a lot of people wouldn't, wouldn't care. You know, I can't speak for anybody else, but this is what it feels like, you know. And so, um, and not to um, downplay the movement, you know, I think we have to definitely, uh, you know, take what we can get and, you know, uh, try to move forward from here. But it definitely feels like we're building a house on sand. And I I think a perfect example, you know, and I I haven't seen this specifically with the sport of swimming yet, Um. But you can see across all sports that, like, even in the NBA, you know what I mean? Like, now the NBA has resumed and the Black Lives Matter uh, paintings on the court aren't there anymore. You know, it's like it's back to business as usual, you know? And so I I, I haven't, re- like, I, we, I guess we haven't had an opportunity to see that in our sport. We will once the pandemic kind of lightens up and we get later into this year and things, we, we really get to see swimming again on a larger scale and clubs go back, university programs go back. We'll really see you know, uh, I guess even with USA Swimming, we'll see, you know, what was just talk and then what was, what was, you know, true as to what they're saying. And that's the beauty about having them appointing that committee because now when you appoint the committee, now you, you have black people who, who love our sport and, and who are invested in, in seeing, you know, uh, us thrive in our sport. Now you have them to help to hold the organization accountable. You know what I mean? And I think that's, that's, what kind of gave me a little bit of relief about the situation. Finally, what gives you hope in this new year, Coach Nate? What keeps you going and doing the great work that you do with your swimmers? Oh, man, I think that, like you said, I, um, like I mentioned earlier, the the idea, I love swimming, you know, and I love to be on the pool deck. And I really feel like our sport has a long ways to go. And I feel like, you know, I really, what keeps me going and what's been keeping me going as of recent is just deciding to spend my energy on uplifting others um, in our sport. And I feel like people who are willing to fight, you know, for what we deserve as a people, specifically in the sport of competitive swimming, I feel like that's, you know, that's what keeps me going, you know, and I can't really spend too much energy trying to convince people that, you know, things aren't right. Um, When there's people who are, when there's college swimmers who are on the verge of quitting, you know what I mean? When there's uh, year-round swimmers who, you know, are, and parents (laughs) who are on the verge of giving up on swimming, you know what I mean? 
And so I feel like in order for our sport to thrive, we really have to – I have to find a way as a college coach and somebody, an advocate for swimming to lift those people up and be a resource to people who um, – to help build our sport, you know. And, um, you know, I think that's what keeps me going and, you know, that's what encourages me. Um, I honestly don't look to others – and I've been around some people. I've been around some great coaches. You know, um, all, all of my, my coaches from programs that I um, previously coached at have been great. You know, um, all of my head coaches that, you know, I've been under have been great. So, I, you know, they have done a great job in making me feel comfortable. And at the same time, I, if I use that to validate myself, like if I have to feel comfortable or if I have to feel like, someone else who doesn't look like me understands me in order for me to move forward, you know, I'm going to drive myself crazy, you know? And so I I just made a decision, you know, I'm going to uplift, you know, it doesn't matter if I come across one black summer that, you know, potential black summer that I could potentially recruit, you know, out of a hundred, you know, it doesn't matter if they end up coming to Redlands or not. I'm going to make sure that they have everything they need, have all the resources, Make sure at the very least they have there's a black coach in Southern California. It's not even my coach, but he supports me. You know, what I mean, he's he's going to be here as a resource um, to kind of navigate not just recruiting but college swimming, swimming as a whole, what they feel about being minority and all this good stuff. And we are going to have to leave it there. We've been speaking to Coach Nate Harding assistant coach at the University of Redlands Swimming and Diving Program, and before that, an assistant at Biola University in La Mirada, California, my alma mater. Coach Nate, we wish you and your family a blessed new year, health, and safety, and thank you again for joining us today on Crossing the Lane Lines. Oh, man, thank you. I I really appreciate you for having me. You've been listening to Crossing the Lane Lines, which is produced by the Black Swim Collective at our studios in San Francisco, California. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe on Spotify, Anchor, or wherever you receive your podcast. From all of us here, we thank you so much for your support. And remember, no lives matter until Black Lives Matter. In San Francisco, this is Najee Ali, for crossing the lane lines. Signing off.